book of John, John chapter number 13, John chapter number 13, and we look forward to uh, what God has for us this morning and then this evening, and uh, tonight, Lord willing, as uh, part of our theme of a loving heart, I'm going to uh, preach along the lines of uh, loving your enemies, loving those who hate you, and uh, so uh, it's a good appropriate message for Valentine's weekend, so, uh, but uh, it, it, it piggybacks off of, of our Sunday school lesson and then the message this morning, and I want you to, I'm going to read two verses in John 13, but I want you to pay close attention to me, if you would, this morning. Um, this morning's message is going to feel more like a Bible study. Um, I have uh, four truths, points that I want to make from our text. I plan on getting to all four of them. Uh, it will take me a while to get to the first one because I want to lay some groundwork. And then it'll, it, once I get into the first one, if it'll take me a while to get to the second one if I get out of the first one. I'll watch the time. Uh, I won't keep you here any longer than we're normally here. Uh, but I do want to be uh, very methodical in laying out the groundwork this morning. I'm very burdened for the church in this day we live in. I'm afraid as a church we've gotten away from some of the most basic things that the church is supposed to do. As Christians, we've gotten away from some of the basic things that Christians are supposed to, supposed to be. And I'm hoping that this diligent heart campaign and the thought of our heart getting focused back on us, because don't, don't we live in a day when we all like talking about what's wrong with everybody else and what all their problems are, what all, but really it starts with us. When I stand before, it's a very sobering thing. It's something that I take very seriously. When I stand before God one day and give an account of my life, uh, certainly, I'm not going to give an account of my sins because that's all under the blood. Uh, but uh, I want to have affected the cause of Christ. I want Him to be pleased with me. Uh, but certainly, I want to have lived in a way uh, that would bring honor to Him. But nobody else is going to be with me. Uh, the person that I wanted to point a finger, they're not going to be with me. And so to, this morning, just, 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 I believe it's very, very important, the message that, <laughs> that I'm going to bring this morning. And so, <laughs> so you'll understand more about what I'm talking about as we get into it. John 13, verse 34 and 35. John 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Very straightforward. I don't think it's very hard to understand, but yet it's a little harder to live. So I want to take these two verses. I want you to keep your Bible open, and we're going to look at Scripture preceding these two verses, and Scripture following these two verses. <coughs> it's important to lay the context of what Christ is saying here. And I want to take that phrase in verse 34, that ye love one another. That's the title of my message this morning, and we'll look at these two verses, but uh, the surrounding verses as well. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, I <coughs> pray this morning that you would continue to bless our service. What a joy it is to be amongst your church family. And Father, I'm thankful for those who are here today, and Father, I pray that all who are here today, our, visit, our guests, our members, will leave having been blessed by being here. And Father, I pray that we'll all leave today uh, <coughs> with a better understanding of the importance of having a loving heart. 
the meaning of having a loving heart. And a glimpse of what a difference having a loving heart can make in this world we live in. Father, I pray this morning that you would uh, work in our hearts. May the Spirit of God uh, bring us to some understanding. May the Spirit of God convict us where needed, encourage us where needed. And Father, there's one unsaved. May they trust Christ today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's important if we're going to truly understand what I believe the Lord is saying here is to understand the events that are transpiring in this time. If you look back to verse, beginning with verse number 21, we're reminded that all of the disciples are assembled together with Christ. Christ has called them out. This is the early church. They have been following Christ and learning from Christ, and Jesus has been in His earthly ministry. Very soon, His earthly ministry is going to come to a climax as He's going to go to Calvary. He's going to fulfill that which He has come to this earth to do. But it's important for us to notice what takes place beginning in verse 21. Follow with me as I read. When Jesus had thus said, He was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him, and he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is, to whom I shall give a sop, when I have dipped it, and when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Jesus, Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. So here we have the scenario of God, Jesus is with His disciples, and as we have read, He reveals that one of them is going to betray Him. He reveals to Judas that He knew it was Him, and after He did, the Scripture says that Satan entered into Judas. Jesus bid him that thou doest go do quickly. The disciples didn't always catch on what was going on. They were not aware of what Jesus meant by that. Following those verses, we have verse 30, 31. Therefore, now when he was gone out, Judas had left. Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. What is he speaking of? He's speaking of the crucifixion. Now that Judas has gone out to meet with the chief priests, meet with that religious crowd, and they have their conspiracy against Christ, Christ knows that now things are set in motion. He is going to Calvary. What a wonderful picture here we see in these two verses as we're reminded. Jesus looked at it as an opportunity for him. He's going to be glorified. He's glorified because He's fulfilling the purpose for which He came. He's providing the means of salvation. 
Then we look at verse 36 through verse 38. Of course, after he speaks of his being glorified, we read in verse 34 and 35. Well, it's important that we read in verse 33. Little children, yet a little while while I am with you, you shall seek me, and I, as I said unto Jews, whither I go, you cannot come, so now I say to you. Then verse 36, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither, thou go, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. It's almost as if verse 34 and verse 35 aren't even in this chapter. Jesus reveals Judas for what he was. He sends Judas out. Then Jesus speaks of himself being glorified. Now, bear in mind that even in the mind of the disciples, they believed that Jesus had come to establish his kingdom then. What did that glorification mean? In their minds, it was not the crucifixion. Then he speaks to them, I'm going to be gone a little while, and you can't come where I'm going. And then, of course, Peter's the one who said, why can't I come? Jesus, of course, reveals to him that he will actually deny him thrice. Tucked in the middle of these important events, and make no mistake about it, the one who would betray Christ being revealed is important. It's important for us to realize that Satan entered into Judas. Judas was a lost man. Otherwise, Satan could not have entered into him. When Judas comes later with the, the crowd to arrest Jesus, and what a picture, G Judas lays a kiss on the cheek of Jesus, possessed by Satan. Jesus, of course, goes to the cross and pays our sin debt. But Jesus, he gives them the instruction in verse 34 and 35 we'll come back to, but I'm afraid many times we miss the significance of these verses, verse 35 and, and 34 and 35, because we're paying close attention to the revealer of the betrayer. We miss the significance of verse 34 and 35 because we rush to chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. We rush to chapter 14 because we need comfort. And certainly I found much comfort out of John chapter number 14 as he comforts those disciples when he's told them he's going to leave them. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. But a closer look at verse 34 and 35 with an awareness of the preceding scripture and what takes place an awareness of the following scripture and what, it, what the Lord is saying will shed light on what I believe is one of the missing elements in today's church. In fact, I submit to you that without giving proper attention to verse 34 and 35, you cannot fully appreciate and understand the responsibility that Christ has placed on his disciples. I'll give you the First statement I want to make this morning, and if we fill up all of our time, we'll just, we'll just end it right here. Look at, in your Bible at verse 34, when Jesus says, A new commandment I give unto you. And this is what I want you to note. A new commandment is an old commandment 
with a new emphasis. A new commandment is actually an old commandment with a new emphasis. Pastor, what do you mean? Let me, let me explain this very carefully. This was not the first time that these disciples had ever heard that you're supposed to love one another. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18 specifically, it says, Love thy neighbor as thyself. This was part of Jewish law. They understood this. They knew this. But Jesus was now giving a greater emphasis on loving one another. Jesus had called out this assembly, the church. After his resurrection, he would appear to them again. And before he ascends into heaven, he would, he would, he would commission these same men, his church, to go into the world and preach the gospel. It's important for him to, un to, us to understand this because he also says in verse 35, notice this, by this, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. He didn't say by this shall all men know that ye are religious. By this shall all men know that ye are necessarily different from everybody else. And quite frankly, there is a difference in being a disciple of Christ and religious. You can, you can be religious and still die without Christ. To be a disciple of Christ, he says, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. Now, let me remind all of us here, who is speaking? Jesus is speaking. He's the authority. He's the standard. He gives a greater emphasis now. Now, what is he saying? How would they be known? This group of men, would they be known as the other Jews with all their external uniqueness, their religious rites? I remind you that the Jew of that day, it was about what they, they showed on the outside with their, their religious exercises that they w went through. And you could look at that and say, they, they, are, they are a Jew by that. Would they be known by that? No. Would they be known as great philosophers and educators like those of that day? No. Matter of fact, it was said of them in the book of Acts that they perceived that they were ignorant and unlearned men. Would, it be, would they be known by their wealth and prosperity? No. How about earthly fame? We certainly hold John in high regard. We hold Peter in high regard. We hold James in high regard. These men who turned the world upside down. But would they be known for their celebrity status? Would they be recognized because of who they were? No. So if they're not known by these things that others were known by, what would... Christ's church be known for, it's right there. It would be the fact that they loved one another. We'll apply this for our day in just a moment, but first we must apply it in the day that they lived, and I want you to follow me very, very carefully. These men were Jews. 
the Jews considered the Gentiles to be dogs. The Jews were prejudiced like any other people. The church, these disciples, would eventually take the gospel to the Gentiles and upon receiving it, unite with them in the church. See, what Jesus was saying when he said, you'll know you're my disciples when you love one another, he was not talking about John and Peter loving one another. That certainly applies. He was not just talking about that little group of men having a bond like anybody else's bond. Because Jesus knew he was going to the cross. Jesus knew he was paying the sin debt. And he, was, he would commission the church to go in the world and preach the gospel. So the Jews that consider the Gentiles to be dogs would preach to the Gentiles. The Gentiles would be converted through the gospel of Christ, and then unite with them in the church. That was a strange thing in that day. They looked at the Jews, you could look at the Jew, and the, the, those, that, that, that religion and that, that, that the followers of those law, and you could identify them simply from the fact that they would not associate with a Gentile. But now, you'll know a disciple of Christ because a Jew will extend his hand to a Gentile. And by the same gospel, join hand in hand as God's church. And then man would say, that's a different love than we've ever seen before. That a Jew who thinks a Gentile is a dog would extend their hand in fellowship and would unite together as God's church. The Jews considered the half-breed Samaritans to be beneath them. They were second class. Jesus is telling them that now He came to die. He's going to be glorified. He came to die for all men. And the day is going to come that they were to show their love for the Samaritan. And now Jew would join hand in hand through the gospel of Christ and unite as the church. And then man would say, other Jews would say, those are those men that followed Jesus because their love is different. The Samaritan would say, as the Samaritans would put their faith in what Christ did and they would trust Christ as their personal Savior. And the other Samaritans would say, now they're a follower of Christ. Why were they identified as, as that? Because it was a strange love. It was a love that's different than everything they had been taught. Everything that they had, been, they had heard. Everything their culture had taught them to believe and do. It was all cast aside the moment they realized and looked to what Christ did on Calvary. This was the love he's speaking of when you love one another. Not just this little band of men having a bond of love for one another, but the fact that Jesus was going to be glorified going to the cross. And he commissions these men, people are going to know that you're my disciples because you love one another. The pagan oppressors 
the Roman rule they were under, the Greek philosopher, the idol worshipers from other nations, those of different races and creeds, were to be preached to of a risen Savior. And upon salvation, there is now a new bond. And now Jew and Greek would share a common salvation. And a church would be formed. How could a Jew unite with a pagan? How could a pagan extend a hand of fellowship with a Jew? Because they were both born again in Christ. That is what differentiated in that day. That is what Jesus is saying is going to differentiate in this world. We say all the time, oh, they need to see the love of Christ. Oh, we need to see the love of Christ. That's more than just wearing a t-shirt that says God loves you. I'm not preaching against that this morning. I'm just saying if we put it in context of what Jesus is saying, the church must go a little bit further than just hashtagging it. Christ was teaching his disciples that upon his crucifixion and resurrection, loving thy neighbor as thyself would go to another level. Don't miss this. It would not just mean love thy Jewish or thy Hebrew neighbor as thyself. It would mean love thy Samaritan neighbor as thyself. It would mean love thy Gentile neighbor as thyself. It would mean the love of a disciple now crosses race, ethnicity, political, cultural divisions. Those you once considered as a dog, you will now embrace as a brother. Those you once looked down upon as a second-rate inferior breed, you will now, as the church, embrace as a brother. Let's apply this to the day we live in. The church today is still a called-out, born-again assembly. What is the example that we should be showing to the world that differentiates us from every religion. You could look at you could look at certain things about a religion and you could say they are a based on you see you see two guys riding down the road in a 10 speed with a white shirt and a black tie and an aim badge, you automatically say those are Mormons. There are certain differentiating things. But what is God's church? What is Christ's church? What is the differentiating thing that when people look at it, they scratch their head and they say, they must be followers of Christ because they love one another. Let me just get right down to where we live this morning. There could be racial division in society, but it's not in the church. How could that be? Don't you know, Pastor, we grew up differently? 
There can be cultural differences in society, and there are. But they're not barriers in the church. There's social division in society, but they're not in the church. There's political division in society, but it should not be in the church. Well, pastor, are you saying that there's not differences? Are you saying that these things don't really exist out in this world? No, I'm saying that when Jesus commanded his disciples, people are going to know you're my follower because now as a Jew, you're going to go to a Gentile and you're going to extend love to them and preach Christ to them. And when they receive the payment for their sin, you're going to extend that hand of fellowship as a brother in Christ. And you're going to look them eyeball to eyeball because now we are saved under the same shed blood. We have the same Savior. We have the same purpose. We're going to the same destination. Friend, all the problems in this world and our nation today could be solved if we would just turn to Jesus. All the problems would be solved if God's people would say, as a child of God, I have a command by Jesus Christ. It does not matter what part of the country I grew up in. It does not matter what side of the tracks I grew up on. I am to love one another. And as a child of God, the one place that we ought to be able to come and we, 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 we love one another and we extend that love is in the church. That's why I stay away from teaching from men like Rick Warren for a lot of reasons. But in his book, The Purpose Driven Church, that so many swallowed, he teaches that as the church, you ought to go for a certain type of person. What type of person? It doesn't look like this church. That's not what Jesus said. See, we have to be very, very careful of what's going on. I'm going off, off script here just for a moment. Very careful what's going on in our nation and pitting one against another. Who's behind it? Is it, is it the left? Is it, is it the right? It's the, it's the devil himself. Because the church is supposed to look at everybody in this world and say, I'm to have the love of God in my heart. And how is this world going to know that there's something different about these people? How are they going to know that they're truly disciples of Christ? They love one another. When it comes to the church, to believers, compassion is better than condemnation. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the rest of my time here. I was, I had a section I could cut out, but I feel, I feel led to do it, and I'll just mention our last three points. As a Christian, as a church, we're to condemn sin, but not the individual. Sadly, in many of our churches today, we condemn the individual with the sin, or instead of the sin. God is against sin. Why? Because God is holiness. Sin is what crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, listen very, very carefully to me. This is important to understand and clarify. And I believe in a day we live in, it's important to keep 
us focused on what Christ said the church is supposed to do. I'm to have, and I'm going to preach on this tonight, I'm, to have, I'm not to have anything but love in my heart for even my enemies. The pastor, is that possible? Come back tonight and we'll learn together. It's important to understand and clarify. Love and fellowship are not the same thing. God does command separation from those with a disorderly from this world. He commands separation from those with a disorderly walk. There are things that a believer should do and be. There are things that a believer can do to be put out of fellowship. And this is happening way too much in this day, not for condemnation, but with a desire for reconciliation. And if you're a member here, you know my heart. If you're visiting as many as you are, you're going to see my heart this morning. The church has gotten to a place where we're one of two extremes. And neither one is fulfilling the command of verse 34 and verse 35. Going from love my neighbor who's just like me, love my neighbor who's reared the same way I'm reared, Love my neighbor whose culture is just like my culture. Jesus said, that's Leviticus. Jesus said, now that I go to the cross, it's going to another level. It's not just love your, your Hebrew neighbor, it's love your Gentile neighbor. It's not just love your, your Hebrew, Hebrew neighbor, it's love your Samaritan neighbor. It's, it's, it's love the, the Roman. It's love, it's love everybody who's not like you. That's how this world's going to seem that you are a disciple because the love is different. It's easy to love people just like us. It's easy to say, hey, I, I love fellowship. I love my brother as long as they don't, they're not a little different. And by the way, you look around this church, we're all a little different. There's, there's two extremes. There's one side that will not condemn sin at all. Then you go to the other ex extreme, and they condemn the believer with the sin. And I think a good reminder of us is in our text, as Jesus reminds Peter. Peter with all the zeal. Peter who had preached Pentecost, three times you're going to deny me. Now, I wonder how many Baptist churches would have forbidden Peter to enter into their services. I wonder how many... Bible colleges and seminaries would have demanded Peter send his diploma back in. I wonder how many business meetings would have taken place about Brother Peter denying Christ. But yet after Jesus, when he, was, he had risen from the dead, paid sin's penalty, Peter's going back to his old life, and Jesus comes and says, Peter, come on back. And it was Peter in Acts chapter 2 that stood and preached Pentecost. I wonder how many preaching fellowships would have boycotted Pentecost because Peter had denial in his past. But the Spirit of God fell because Peter's a good example of you can fall and get up and come back to God and still be used of God. And Peter was a fulfillment of what Jesus said you're going to know, they're going to know you're my disciple because you have love one for another. 
God never required perfection, although we should be striving to to achieve it. God never said that we're never going to stumble and fall, but the Bible says a just man rises up seven times after he falls. We have got to understand, yes, we, we are going to condemn sin. Part of my responsibility is to preach against it, to warn us of its effects and how it destroys homes and destroys marriages and destroys lives. And yes, there are some standards that we, this Bible teaches. It's just to guard us. It's like a guardrail. We don't fall off of a cliff. But we can liken it to somebody just getting their learner's permit and parking crooked in the parking lot, and we want to condemn them as never being able to drive. When truth of the matter is, everybody has that problem when they get started. You have the extreme, and I've mentioned, you have these false teaching. And we, we get so many Christians that fall prey to this. Well, we just love, and, and we want to show God's love, and we want to show God's love. Well, to show God's love, you've got to tell the truth. The Bible does say speaking the truth in love. A lot of these churches and these men who, who claim to be shepherds, they, they would say, well, you just got to love. And we, oh, you're not going to face any condemnation. You know, it goes with what I'm going to say. I don't have a right to condemn any man. But God says, if you don't have Christ, you're condemned already. I liken this extreme over here to a doctor who says, I'm going to run you through some tests. Then the patient comes in and they, ah, you look great, great bill of health, send them on their way. Then he talks to the practicing physician and he says, why didn't you tell them about that tumor? Well, I didn't want them to think I was judging them. I didn't want them to think I was condemning them. When they came to the office, I just wanted them to be happy. Well, their life probably could have been saved if the doctor would be willing to say, you better, there's some things you're going to have to change in your life. There's some things that you're going to have to do because of this right here. The other extreme, and this isn't where the church should be. This, if you're wondering who this is, Joel Osteen over here. This is Joel Osteen, this is Joel Osteen over here. This other extreme is you go to the doctor, he runs some tests. You come in, the, the patient comes in the, the office and says, you've got a tumor. And pulls out a gun and shoots them. Well, it was 50-50 anyway. We laugh at that, but the church should never be that. The church ought to be willing to say, this is what God has said. Here's a world that is not going to always accept the church. We can put as many coexist bumper stickers as we want. When, when all of them band together to try and kill the Bible believer, we're probably not going to get along too well. The point I'm making is this. To have a loving heart... We have to be willing to fulfill the command that Jesus has said. We are to love those with compassion. 
Now, you know me. You know I stand where I stand. I'm going to stand where I... But at the same time, I want to have a loving heart for people. I'm not going to demand, I'm not going to demand everybody to, believe, to think exactly like me. I'm not so naive to think that there's not some here that aren't just here. That they don't believe everything I say. Maybe you're here just because you like the way I say it. Maybe you came for the candy bar. I don't care, but you're here. I, if I am going to fulfill this, I've got to love people who aren't just like me. I've got to love people who grew up different than me. I mean, you look around the building, how else would this group of people coming from so many different backgrounds, so many different upbringings, so many different <laughs> countries and races and nationalities bond together? It is undeniable that there is a spirit here that you can't manufacture, that you can't buy on the shelf at Walmart, that is not present in every other place. Why is it? Because as a disciple, we love one another. I'll mention 2, 3, and 4, and we're done. The second thing I see in these verses, we see the standard of a loving heart. Notice in verse 34, as I have loved you. I don't have to spend much time on this. Those disciples weren't like Jesus. Jesus was God. And as I have loved you in your failures, in your imperfection, and they don't measure up, as I have loved you unconditionally, unconditionally. Now, I'll back, back up a little bit. The Bible tells us that those who teach false doctrine were to mark. The Bible tells us that scorners to cast out. But just because somebody stumbles and falls, that does not fall in that category. Just because somebody doesn't meet our standard does not fall in that category. We, we, we go by a Bible standard. I'm supposed to love, love, that the standard of a loving heart is Christ. Number three, it's, I've already said it many times, but in verse 35, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. Please don't miss this statement. Discipleship requires a loving heart, as I've talked about this morning. There's a lot of people who talk about being a disciple, but there's certain neighborhoods they would never go pick somebody up in to bring them to church. And Pastor, how can you say that these certain groups and things aren't disciples because Jesus said it? And I'll just, I've said enough. I'll just say it. There's white churches that wouldn't let a black man go and join the church. They're not disciples. Likewise, there's black churches that wouldn't like a white person to join the church. They're not disciples. Well, they're not like us. Are you saved? Are they saved? Well, guess what? We brothers. That's what Jesus is saying. Discipleship requires a loving heart. I'm going to be me. God created me as me. I'm not going to try and be anybody else. You be you. You be who God created you. Don't try and be anybody else. We are all sinners who fall short of the grace of God. There's only one way for us to get to where we want to go, and that's to be reconciled to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. 
And upon that reconciliation, we become part of the family of God. We're adopted into his family. We're the joint heir with Christ. He is now our, our brother as we're adopted into his family. What a wonderful thought. Now, how do we show this world that what we have is real? How do we show this world that it's different than the, the hundreds of religions and new ones come out every day? Because we love one another. It doesn't matter if we, we, it's reciprocated. It's in our heart to love somebody who's not like us, love somebody who may not agree with everything like, uh, that we do. But it's important for us. Discipleship requires a loving heart. Number four, I hope this has made sense this morning. Verse 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Notice that, that next little word. It's such a big word, but it's only two letters. If. You have love one to another. Statement number four this morning is there's necessary removal of obstacles to a loving heart. The fact that Christ says if means he's leaving it into our hands. Salvation, I, when, when, my, when I take my, if the Lord tarries is coming and I take my final breath on this earth, I'm going to heaven and I don't have a say in that. I had a say in it when I trusted Christ. And I've never regretted making that decision. When I take my last breath in an instant, in, that, in a moment so quick, in that translation from this tabernacle to a heavenly tabernacle with my Lord, that, I, don't even have a, I don't even have a choice in that. Because the decision was made when I put my faith and trust in Christ. And by the way, if the choice was mine, I'd make that choice again. But Jesus is saying, if he's leaving it in our control, he's giving us a choice. We, we see this in the day we live in. We see it politically. We see it socially. We see it even in, in religious circles. The ones who preach the greatest tolerance are the most intolerant. And there are, even in religious circles, those that say, oh, you just think everybody, they're, they're the least tolerant. Which brings to the point that I'm making, it's the if. Just because another, another individual is not going to, well, I know some Christians, and they, they, they didn't have the love, that doesn't mean you can't have it. Pastor, I believe in what you're saying, but there's people that don't feel this way about you and about us. What's that have to do with us? If, let me just mention a few things and we're done. If repre represents some things. I have a few common things I'm going to mention this morning in closing that equal that if in a lot of Christians' life. The unsurrendered heart. We as humans, we are a product of our environment we grew up in. We're a product of society. We're a product of the schools. We're a product of the things that we're exposed to. <coughs> we're a product of all these things. The truth of the matter is, everybody around us has likes and, and dislikes. You, know, you, you, you grow up and you, you, have, you have children and it's like, well, I don't like it, so I ain't having it in my house. But that doesn't mean, so I, hey, do you like they get to be older and say, do you, do you, not, what, why, you don't like that? No, I don't like it. Have you ever tried it? No. Well, I'm actually, no, mom and dad didn't like it. Otherwise, they'd have tried it. 
What I'm saying is we are programmed by, we're a product of what we are. It is not natural for us to do what it is that Christ commanded us to do. It's quite frankly, it is counterculture. Therefore, I must have a completely surrendered heart to God to obey the command to love one another. Pastor, this is, this is easy. Why don't, why don't everybody who claims to be a Christian just because there's an if? There's an if. Almost every, the way I present every message that I, met, I present, I present truths and attached to that truth is an if. You heard it, what are you going to do with it? But the Lord says if, there's a surrender, there's pride. Let's be honest. Can we be, can we be completely honest this morning? If I haven't run you off by now. I can be completely honest with you. All of us have an elevated opinion of ourselves. All of us have a tendency, generally speaking and specifically, to look at situations and people and think, they're beneath me. This is a, this is a far cry from live your best life now. I know, I know, I get it. This is Bible. But my pride will keep me from taking the gospel to somebody I'm not, they're not exactly like me. They're not on my same social standing. Well, I would, I would, I would, I would be a help to them, but I know they're never going to come to church. Show me that in the Bible. We're supposed to help, not with the motivation. Now, I want everybody to come to church. Well, I'll, I'll love them if they tithe. If I ignore you when you come through, it's no. But to love everybody. But what gets in our way? Our pride. Very simply put, sin gets in the way. Bitterness. Unforgiveness. Bitter at things that have happened to us. Bitter at things that have taken place in this world and our life. You can name the most vile sin, <laughs> sins. You can name the, the typical things that are always the, the hindrance. Addictions and things of that nature. I would submit to you that bitter hearts have destroyed more Christians than all of those things combined. A loving heart. I want the Emmanuel Baptist Church to be a place where people know nothing else. Whether it's been 16 years since I've walked in the doors or just six days. There's a church that loves me. There's a pastor that loves me. And if I... If any of us are saved, we're all saved the same way by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We better learn how to get along now because we're going to spend an eternity together. I don't understand this. Well, I would, and I probably shouldn't use this illustration, but I am, and then we'll be done. And I'll give us all a Valentine as we leave. We'll all be happy again. Something that just resonated with me when 
small group of us two years ago went to Israel. We left New York City and flew to Tel Aviv. The plane was mostly full of Jewish people. And they were in the Jewish garb. They, 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 I mean, you could tell these were orthodox. They were still living by the old law. Same was true. We left Tel Aviv to fly back to New York. Every, and this is where some of these things that Jesus said just begin to pop off the scripture in my mind. Every time that we went to leave, we were delayed. And there would be a situation with one of the flight attendants. Coming back, I figured out what it was. There would be a Jew that would refuse to sit in a plane seat next to a Gentile. Yet Jesus said, you're commissioned, you're commanded. That's tragic. It was tragic to, to tour that land and walk through Jerusalem and people so blinded to the Son of God. Before we are too quick to throw our pharisaical stones, who is it? What type of person is it? It would be quick to run to give them an invitation, but I don't think I want to give them an invitation. People need to see that what Christ offers is real. Because it's real. Everything else is a facade. How can they see it if even when we have a disagreement, we can't still show love for one another. If we can't be different and still love one another. I had a, somebody mention to me recently, and they weren't very happy about it. I'm going to go tell everybody that anybody can come. Anybody who wants to attend the Emmanuel Baptist Church, they can go down there. It's like, go ahead, tell them. I mean, I hate to break it to you this morning. There's different races that are a part of the Emmanuel Baptist Church. There's different social standings. We even let Yankees join the church. I'm only doing it because Jesus commands me to. That's the only reason. Let's love one another as Jesus did. If, he, if you've never experienced the love that I'm talking about, the love of Christ, Him paying your sin debt, somebody could open the Bible this morning and show you how you can put your faith and trust in Christ. Say, well, I don't come from a church background. Well, it's, that's okay. Well, I don't, I don't come from a church. Jesus died for everything. Let's have a loving heart. Father, I pray that you'll use...